Turn to Mark chapter 6, if you would, please, this morning, as we come to the Word. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, congregation. This morning, we're continuing a study that we began back in September and that we will complete when we're done. The Gospel of Mark. More than words on a page, more than historical text, the Gospel carries in it the very presence and power of the living God. Last Sunday morning, our text was the first 13 verses of Mark, and I'm going to return there for a moment because it sets in context the message for this morning. My thanks to my brother and friend, Tom, for bringing the word so powerfully last Sunday here in St. Paul while I was in Minneapolis ministering to our congregation there. I want to begin in the second part of verse 6. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to Him. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. Just for a moment, I want to bring your attention back to three verbs that are present in that small verse that are repeated in the corresponding Gospels in Matthew and Luke as well. Called, gave, sent. Our message title last week that Tom brought was Mission Possible. And in those three verbs is embedded the possibility of that mission for us. It begins with being called. Knowing who we are. In our calling, we receive our identity and discover our true position in Christ. And it's our position in Christ which gives us our passport for ministry. And I would say to you this morning, if we don't know who we are in Christ, we will never get to the mission. And the Word of God tells us in many places who we are. Peter describes it this way, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. That's who He calls you. Oh, the world will call you a lot of other things, but that's why you need to remember who you are. And you've been given provision through the Holy Spirit. 
The passage goes on and tells about all the things don't take with you. Travel light in the physical, in the natural. But travel heavy in the spirit. (laughs) The instruction of Jesus to his disciples in Acts was, Wait! For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. We have been given provision for this mission through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our position is in Christ. The power comes from the Spirit. And then we are sent. And in that sending, we participate in the purposes of the Father. He gives us His papers. We have a visa. You have a visa to go into your home. You have a visa to go into your neighborhood. You have a visa to go into your workplace. You have a visa to go into your school. You have a visa to go to Senegal. And the uttermost parts of the earth. When you're walking in the purposes of the Father. Your position in Christ. Your provision. The power of the Spirit. The purpose of the Father being fulfilled through your life. And so they went. tells us in verse 12 that they went. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) They did. They were obedient. And they went out and they preached that people should repent. And they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil. And they healed them. Now drop down to verse 30 of Mark 6. And the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to Him all that they had done and taught. They went out. They did the stuff. And they came back. And they told Jesus, here's what happened. And they gave testimony and witness to the mission. Our Gospel writer Mark does something interesting here. He inserts between verse 13 and 30 an extended account of the death of John the Baptist. What are you thinking, Mark? Why tell us about that here? In between the disciples going out and coming back. Could there be a word for those disciples, could there be a word for us disciples this morning?
But the mission is costly. It may cost us everything. But as Tom so powerfully spoke to us last week, the mission hasn't changed. So let's go into our text this morning, beginning in verse 14. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he's Elijah. Still others claimed, he's a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard of this, he said, John, the man I beheaded has been raised from the dead. You think John might have had a little bit of an uneasy conscience? Hmm. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. Here's the other edge of opportunity being used. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. She probably said it like that too because she'd been waiting a long time. And at once the girl hurried in to the king with a request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Catch that? As if his oaths and his dinner guests. He didn't want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And the man went and beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a platter and presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. And on the hearing of this, John's disciples came, took his body, and laid it in a tomb. Hmm. A tragic story, yes? Or yet another sowing 
of the blood of the martyrs into the soil of the earth. And the kingdom of God springing up with new life. Now we could explore a lot of the historical background here. There's a lot that I, in my study, I discovered and it would all be very interesting, but um, I'm not going to go there this morning. I want to actually go back. And I don't have PowerPoint this morning. The Lord just wouldn't let me. So there we are. (laughs) But I do invite you to take notes on the tear-off in your bulletin because there's some things that I think the Lord has to share with us that are significant and we'll want to continue to pray into. We're going to go back and begin at the beginning of John's life. Because I believe that he presents to us today a powerful example and challenge. And I've entitled the message this morning, Prepare the Way. And you'll understand that very shortly. So come with me to Luke chapter 1, if you would. Another of the Gospels. If you don't have a Bible, please use the Bible located in the seat back, either behind you or in front of you. It'll be helpful for you to interact with the text as I'm interacting with it and reading it and sharing it with you. Luke 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. I mean, here you are, just going about doing your everyday stuff. Zechariah just doing his religious duty. And God shows up. How startling is that? An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Just like we are. When God shows up. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Now, a friend of mine did some study on that phrase. And what it really means is this. I know you're afraid, but don't run away. Just stay here because I have something to say to you that will be of benefit to you. Some of you, God's saying that to you right now. Because you walked in this morning and you went, I have no idea what's going on. 
This is not like any church I've ever been in. Don't be afraid. The Lord has something for you today. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. He's to take a Nazarite vow. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Would you please highlight that? Not in the Pew Bible, but in your own. Or write it down. This is what... I'm just absolutely captivated by that phrase. When the angel speaks to Zechariah and says, here is what his job description is. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Let's back up and get some wide-angle lens for a moment. Where did these words come from? He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Where is that in the Scriptures? Extra sermon points. Malachi 4, 5 and 6. The last words of the Old Testament. The very last words of the Old Testament. The last prophetic pronouncement made is that there is one I'm coming in the spirit of Elijah. And then silence for 400 years. That's a long silence. We can't stand silence for 400 minutes, much less 400 years. 400 years of silence. And now, the Word of the Lord is coming again. It says there's going to be a baby born who's going to have the spirit of Elijah on him. And he is going to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, Zechariah does what exactly you would do. Because you've done it. I know you have. Come on, talk to me. Zechariah asked of the angel, well, how can I be sure of this? Now, I love what he says here. He's so diplomatic. I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Cut to the chase, Zechariah. I'm old, so is she. Come on, I wake up to her every morning. (laughs) the angel answered, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. 
And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe my words which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were sitting waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. You punched your time clock. You put in your hour. Why are you still in there? When he came out, he couldn't speak to them and they realized he'd seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. Surprise! And for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days He has shown His favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now go over to verse 57 where the story of John the Baptist picks up again. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. Zechariah must have somehow cued her in on the naming. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. And they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he began to speak, praising God. And the neighbors were all filled with awe. Throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied over his boy. He's been silent for nine months. And now, the first words out of his mouth, praising God and prophesying says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He's come and He has redeemed His people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He said through His holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath He swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Underline his next words here. You've heard him already. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation 
through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. Wow. Now there's a calling. There's a mission. Look at what it says next in verse 80. And the child grew, became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. His training and his calling took place in the desert. Still does, by the way. If you haven't visited the desert yet, I have a bulletin for you. If you are going to grow as a disciple of the Lord, you will. Because it's in the desert that He strips away all of the extraneous things that crowd your heart and life. And it's in the desert that He will hone the sword of His Spirit and Word, His life, His truth in you. In the wilderness. In the desert. And then we have silence from John for 30 years. Or about John. Until we come over to Luke chapter 3. Which is also in Mark chapter 1. And Matthew chapter 3. But as long as we're in Luke. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, and all of these folks, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. And he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We know what his mission is. His mission is to make ready a people preparing the way for the Lord. And now we discover his message. What he has been given as the word that has come to him honed there in the desert. And now, speaking out as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for Him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. And the crooked road shall become straight. And the rough way smooth. And all mankind will see God's salvation. 
That picture from Isaiah spoken prophetically millennium before John comes along on the scene. And Isaiah 40 is a picture that would be well understood to the hearers of John the Baptist in that day and time. For the picture was that of a conquering king coming into his conquered land. And before him a road was hewn by all of those even who had been taken captive. And the the roads and the mountains were brought down and the valleys were filled in and crooked places were straightened out and rough places were buffed and made smooth so that the road into the captured place would be level and smooth before the conquering king. John, the forerunner to the king, has a message and a word to the house of Israel. And he has a message and word to the house of Bethel Christian Fellowship today. And that word is this. Prepare the way! Make straight paths for the Lord. How's that happen? Well, the high place has got to come down. What are those high places? Well, those, those are the places of our triumphs, of our strengths, of our gifts and anointings and all that we have, all of the, the bigness of who we are. Which can become so easily our places of pride. And we get hooked in our own arrogance. And those very strengths become the thing which stand between us and the way of the Lord coming. God have mercy. Help us. Those low places, they've got to come up. Those low places, those places of our failures... Those failures become voices in our ears which say, Who do you think you are? Oh yeah, you tried that last time. How'd that work out for you? Want to try that again? Become the voices of unbelief and left unchecked will paralyze us from moving any which way. Then there's those crooked places. Oh yeah. Those bent places in our lives. The places of rebellion. The places where we've turned away from the purposes of God and we are no longer aligned with Him. The places of unbelief that lead us to do injustice 
if we're honest. And the injustice that we see all around us because of the crooked path that so many have taken. And there's those rough spots. Those rough places I think have to do with our hurts. Where we've been wounded, where we've been broken, where we've been bruised and battered. And where we say, I ain't going back to that again. I'll never let myself get hurt again. But those vows made in fear create the soil where bitterness and the root of bitterness gets sown in our hearts. And it's a poison that will suck the life right out of And so the word of the Lord comes and says, I'm going to take your pride and I'm going to bring it down. And I'm going to take your doubt and I'm going to bring it up. And I'm going to take your unbelief and I'm going to straighten it out. And I'm going to take your fears and I'm going to rub them out. Go to the Apostle John for a minute. The Gospel of the Apostle John. John 1. 1 verse 19. By the way, for those of you that are wondering, we are coming in for a landing shortly here. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I'm not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now go over to chapter 3. We pick up again in John the Baptist. 3.22. After this, so that was just confirming what we heard in Luke and it's in Mark and Matthew as well. All of the Gospels. Same message. Now, verse 22 of chapter 3 of John. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. And John was baptizing at Anan near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi... That man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he's baptizing and everybody's going to him. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. 
I must become less. Whereas it says in some of your translations, he's got to increase, I've got to decrease. Pastor Lloyd Jacobson, who was the pastor here prior to me, pastored here for 17 years, shared with me when I first came up to go to seminary here in St. Paul, up at Bethel, and was attending church here. And he said to me, Jim, before God makes a ministry, He always makes a man. This is a man who's been made. John recognized when his disciples came and said, everybody's following him now. There's not as many over here on this side. But John knew his place. I'm, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I'm pointing people to the bridegroom. I've got to decrease. He has to increase. It's not about me. It's about Him. Hmm. The one who comes from above is above all. And the one who is from the earth belongs to the earth. And speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. Testifies to what he has seen and heard. And no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. Love that. (laughs) The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. Mission, prepare the way of the Lord. Message, make straight paths. Method, how does that happen? One last scripture, come back. Second to last scripture. Come back to Luke 3. Luke 3. Verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers. Uh, John, uh, do you think? (sighs) You could really use some marketing uh, classes. This is just not going to go really well. This is not the way to attract the crowd. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root in the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, what do we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teachers, they asked, what do we do? Well, don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. In other words, love God and act justly and walk in mercy. Don't you know what I've already told you to do? Listen and act in obedience and alignment with what you've already been told. Common sense. Live congruent with who you are. 
The people were waiting expectantly. We're all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. So how does this happen? How does this level place happen as the Spirit of the Lord comes and baptizes with wind and with fire, with the Spirit and with fire? Here's the picture. The winnowing fork. That fork with tines on it. Taken after the harvest has come in. And on a hillock that's bare of trees where the wind blows, that grain is taken and it is crushed so that the husk breaks away from the grain itself and the stalk and all of that. And then the winnowing fork comes and is held and it's thrown up into the air and the wind takes and blows the chaff and the stalks away, leaving the grain itself. And then fire to all the chaff is burned. It's still the same today. It was the same on the day of Pentecost. As the disciples, the 120 gathered in the upper room, waiting expectantly, the Spirit came and the sound like a mighty rushing wind and the tongues of fire came down. The breath of God and the fire of God, the fire of His revelation and purification, the wind of His life blowing through His people. As it was then, as it was even back in the Old Testament. I was reading this week in Numbers chapter 31 and it, they've just come back from battle with the Midianites and Eliezer the priest said to the soldiers who gone into battle, this is the requirement of the law that the Lord gave Moses. Verse 22 of Numbers 31. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, tin, lead, and anything else must that can withstand fire must be put through the fire and then it will be clean, but it must also be purified with the water of cleansing. He comes with the fire of His Spirit and the cleansing of His Word to prepare the way. To level it out. To make a smooth path. And we are invited into the fire. Into the desert into the flood of His presence to make a straight path for Him. And then the end of our passage in Luke that we've just been looking at. Verse 19 of Luke 3. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this evil to them all. He locked up John in prison. And now we're back to Mark 6. 
John had the temerity to speak truth to power. Power does not like to be spoken to with truth. Power has a vested interest in muzzling and silencing truth. And so it was. And so John died. But Jesus said this about John. This is the last verse of this morning. In Matthew chapter 11. And here's where it connects back into your life and mine this morning. Matthew 11, 11 and 12. I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he for from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. John, unique in esteem before Jesus and yet the very least in the kingdom. I don't know about you, but there's a there's not a lot of room at the top, but there's a lot of room at the bottom. You ever notice that? There's a lot of room for least. Not so much room in the most. A lot of least room. That's us. That's where we get to be. Among the least. But the kingdom of heaven forcefully advances through the least. Just like you and me, like, like this little church in the middle of St. Paul neighborhood. Touching the nations? Who'd have thunk? Who could have planned that? Only God. Or the least. It's a good place to be. Come on, worship team. We're going to respond. There's two responses that I want to invite you into this morning. They're obvious responses. But we need to respond. The first is this, where in your life does the Lord need to make a way? Are there high places that need to come down? Are there low places that need to come up? Are there rough places that need to be smooth? Are there crooked places that need to be made straight? The invitation of the Lord this morning is to come into the fire. Come and receive the gift of repentance. Turn And open your heart. If you've never opened your heart to Jesus today, He is here. He's very present. He's right here to give you life. Open your heart to Him. Maybe you've opened your heart in the past, but there's still places in your life and you recognize the Lord needs to work in. Today, come and receive the gift of repentance and forgiveness. And let that flat place be made again. 
Maybe this morning the call of the Lord in your life is this. He's inviting you today to be a voice in your home, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your work, all the things and the places that Tom was challenging us in last week. And you just want to be that voice. And it's hard to speak truth to power. It's hard It's a challenge, it's difficult, and yet, as we were encouraged earlier, to make the world envious (laughs) of what God's done in us. So either of those, if either of those fit this morning, we're going to sing this song and then I know we're, we're in overtime. Don't you love overtime? Man, when I'm watching a basketball game, there's nothing better than overtime. All right. So when you're overtime in church, it's a good thing. All right. So we're over time. But God's not in a hurry, so here we are. Um, so we're going to sing this song, and then I will give a benediction and release you. Um, please pick up your children before you go. That'd be great. <laughs> Our workers love them, but I'm sure they've been loved to about death right now. So, all right. Let's stand together as we sing. Here we go. It's a prayer. The altar's open if you want to come.